Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello friends, it's Sam Matterface here with the Game Day Podcast, ahead of a week of international fun. Alongside me, TalkSport broadcaster Kwaku Afari is here. Hello. Good morning, how are you doing Sam? Yeah, good, thank you. Assistant Editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis is here. Hello. Good morning, good morning to you. Uh, coming up, will Gareth Southgate tackle Italy and Germany with 100 fullbacks? Should Tony or Tammy get the audition <laughs> for the role of Kane understudy? And uh, Scotland win well against Ukraine. Yes, from TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Hello and welcome to One and All, the Game Day podcast. Uh, Darren Lewis is here as always. I'm a bit jaded, Darren, I've got to be honest with you. I was uh, <laughs> I was boogieing with Scotland last night. Uh, after doing England for so long, I was back in Glasgow covering Scotland for the first time in a, about four years, actually. They played really well. What a mature performance that was. I was really impressed. Yeah, it does go some way towards compensating for that World Cup heartbreak, doesn't it? I mean, they've gone top of Group B1, um, got to keep track of all the groups. Um, a real victory for patience as well, because as we know, they, they lost to that same opposition three months ago. They missed loads of chances uh, this time around as well. But they kept their nerve, kept their beliefs. So well done, John Miggin um, and Lyndon Dykes came off the bench to score twice later on. And Ryan Fraser created two of those goals for Lyndon Dykes after being uh, left out in the cold for uh, eight months after failing to turn up last November with a calf injury and then training the next day for Newcastle. Um, Kwaku Fari is here. You all right? What have you been up to? I'm all good. Um, I've been pr- pretty busy. I work on quite a lot of talk sport. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been a pretty busy international break. Well, there's loads going on and we've got two England games live on talk sport this week. First stop, Milano. England's heaviest home defeat since 1928. 94 years as Hungary beat the Three Lions by four goals to nil. In the two tournaments we've had, this group of players have been the best for 50 years. This competition has been a real Achilles heel. I think we've overhyped our team, overhyped our players. Now suddenly the expectation is we should be winning the World Cup. Get real. I can't see too many players right now out of this squad that are going to make it in there. This is it. This is the warm-up game. I just think if the shackles come off and they play a less pragmatic <clears throat> approach, I think that's what the fans want to see. Chiesa's right foot shot. Wonderful goal. Italy lead in the semi-final. Havertz has poked it home. The Germans have equalised. These are key moments now because you're coming into the tournament and you've got to hit the ground running. Adrian Durham is in Milan presenting for TalkSport because we've got both games live on Friday and on Monday and he joins us for the first section of the show. Adrian, hello. 
Buongiorno, just a one cornetto. I'm here in Milan and really loving it. Absolutely loving it. Do you know what I thought? I thought, don't be cliche. Don't be cliche. And then you come on and you do that. I am jealous of you being in Italy. And what did you have for dinner last night? Best restaurant I ever went uh, to was in Torino. Uh, I looked for zucchini flowers, which are my absolute favourite, but oh, yeah. only very few, uh, and they're seasonal, but only very few restaurants have them. Didn't find one, so had to go with the standard carbonara, which was absolutely sensational. Fantastic. I mean, look, there are bigger choices than what to eat in Italy, but uh, in particular, actually, uh, for Southgate, we'll get to those in just a, a minute. Uh, but just put these games into context for us, because in all honesty, the best England can hope for is two good performances, find someone who might go to the World Cup, and no relegation, right? Because the last break was such a mess. I think it's a bit bigger than that. And the reason is this. All the experimentation was done in the four games earlier in the summer. So I think we can... It's very difficult to forgive, particularly that last 4-0 home defeat. But we can forgive what went on there. These two games, I think the performance is vital. I think individuals have to step up to the plate. I think the team has to play well. And I actually think winning the game is important as well. Both games, I think it's really important to get a win so that they go into the World Cup feeling positive and the fans feel positive as well. In terms of the atmosphere and the feel around the squad, obviously um, we know there's a large contingent of club football fans that bemoan the amount of international games there are throughout the season. Um, but you can kind of stomach it when you're playing against the likes of Italy and Germany. But if England were to suffer a relegation um, from this nation league, Nations League group or pool, will they be will they be as willing to stomach games against maybe lesser known nations? So my question to you is: Is it um, viewed as an international break? where they're trying to avoid relegation or really trying to experiment before the World Cup. Thank you. Listen, I'm an England fan. Before I did this job, I travelled as an England fan as well to games. I'm genuinely, maybe I'm an exception, but I'm genuinely not bothered about relegation promotion from the Nations League. Really not bothered. I think I do get the Nations League and the importance of it for some countries, really, to, to kind of get them up to a better standard. And I don't mean to be patronising with that, but this, and England may need that at some point in the near future. But at this moment in time, England are going deep into major tournaments, Euros and World Cups. So for me, the Nations League is almost an irrelevance. I mean, we, we did well in it in its inaugural uh, competition and it didn't really mean much uh, at the time. It may grow in importance as time goes on. But right now, if, if England get relegated, I, I'm not too bothered about it. I don't think it's a big deal. If they do well at the World Cup, great. If they do poorly at the World Cup, that's what will decide Southgate's future, I think. Darren? Adrian, I totally agree with everything you've been saying. I think no England manager was ever judged on the replacement for friendlies. Um, it's the major tournaments where England managers are judged. I just wondered what you wanted to see from these games because there are two bodies of opinion. One, that Gow Southgate should be nailing down a side, but the other is that you can't possibly pick on form when there are so many of the trusted players who are out of form. So what do you want to see from these friendlies? Well, I want to see people forget about all this talk of picking on form. Um, picking on England form as well as club form is important to remember, and that's particularly relevant with somebody like Harry Maguire, who I don't think has played badly um, for England. So I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be picked. So... I actually think it will be detrimental to the morality, the mentality of the squad, uh, the morale of the squad, um, if Harry Maguire wasn't picked by Gareth Southgate. So I think people have kind of missed the whole point on, on the Maguire thing. Um, 
in terms of playing well and, and you know, and, and getting it together for the World Cup, this is what it's all about. Nailing down a system as well. We played 3-4-3, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 in the four. We had three different systems in the four Nations League games. There were four different team selections in those games. We never played our best players. So that's why two games now, play your best team possible. I appreciate Pickford's injured, Stone's suspended for the first game. Play your best team possible. Play the system you think you will use most to try and win this World Cup and try and nail that down in these two games. I think that's important, Darren. Um, nine of the last 13 games since the final of the European Championships, England have played a back four. Now, I know that he likes tactical flexibility and Gareth will reserve the right to switch and change it. And I've spoken to him about this. You know, he has no... He's not wedded to a particular formation. He adapts because he knows that sometimes you might need an extra body at the back if you're playing against a better team. He doesn't trust maybe the defence as much as he should do or, or would love to do. So sometimes he has to bulk up when they're playing a Germany or an Italy, for example. But the way forward, if you want to control big matches in international football, is to play a back four, isn't it? Because you're usually up against just one front man and therefore you've got two spare men in that back line. And as much as England have relied on security, actually, if you really want to go and win matches, you probably need to be a little bit more assertive. Yeah, I, I did. I, I kind of toyed with, I had a brief affair with a back three for England for a little while, but um, I decided uh, for the good of my own personal future, I would uh, break off that affair. And I've gone back to back four. <laughs> and I think it's because we've got attacking fullbacks. If you look at the midfield options we've got now, and, and if I say, I really hope Calvin Phillips you know, comes back to full fitness, but the two central midfielders we really can trust. And with respect to Jordan Henderson, he, he, you know, I think he's probably good to have in the squad, but in the starting 11, Rice and Bellingham have got to be in there. You know, you can have those two in front of a back four and the rest of them are all attacking, including the fullbacks. So I'd rather see an attack in England. I know it's not Gareth Southgate's way, but I just hope he has a change of mentality. Very cautious, over-cautious, which means he doesn't get the best out of the brilliant attacking players we've got. But I think it's now time to break that mould. And, and listen, if it all goes horribly wrong, and we, uh, and we get to, say, a quarterfinal and lose 5-4, having scored 25 goals in the previous four games, you know, then, then people will say, well, it was entertaining, but ultimately we failed and his future will be decided. But I'd rather that way than saying, oh, he's gone all defensive. He didn't play Foden and Grealish. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And we ended up going out, losing 1-0 in a very boring game. So I, I'm, I'm with a back four because it allows all that attacking play to happen. I'm going to disagree with you because we got pers- uh, first pick of the semi-finals. So as long as they get through the semi-final, I'm happy. Um, <laughs> not that it's all about selfishness here. Um, look, personnel is really difficult, isn't it? Because Gareth is on a hiding to nothing, whoever he picks, really. And some of his key men are actually missing, aren't they? Or not playing regularly. I mean, the fullback situation is really interesting because there's about seven or eight fullbacks, depending on whether you characterise Carl Walker as a fullback or not, in the squad. And, I mean, ultimately, you're not going to take them all. I know there's a 26-man squad, but you're not going to take them all. It's pointless to do so. So he has to be a little bit ruthless. Who is he going to cull? I've got my own theory about who he's going to cull, but go on, who do you think? Well, you're talking about the amount of fullbacks, seven or eight... These are all right-backs, pretty much. So, well, yeah, that's um, the other issue, isn't it? Yeah, the left-back is a problem. I can see him playing Trippier at left-back. Yes. Um, that will frustrate Ben Chilwell hugely. 
Um, I, I can't see a case for putting Luke Shaw in the team at all. Uh, right back, Reese James is, for me, I, I, is it a debate? He's clearly the number one right back that England have got. I mean, there's oh, a few Darren, of them. Dar Darren's going to get involved. I have views. I, I love Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm on the ball. You know, his instinctive passing, his, his, his talent, it cannot be denied. I've just seen him in an England shirt, just look so lost and, and unhappy that I feel for him. I'd rather he was happy. And in a Liverpool shirt, generally speaking, he's much more happy. It's another player who Gareth Southgate has failed to get the best out of, I'm afraid. And it may be that England haven't got the players around Trent to get the best out of him. But yeah, he's going to have to be a little bit more ruthless. Um, I don't know. In terms of left back, do you need an orthodox left back when Trippier can do that job? I'm not sure. Um, I'm a big Ben Chilwell fan, but... Chelsea have made this crazy signing of Kukurea, but you know, and, and who knows where that will leave Ben Chilwell. Uh, but that's Chelsea's madness, isn't it? I, I, you're right. There's got to be some sort of coal because if we remember, and even players like John Stones playing right back, Ben White playing right back, it's a big problem for Gareth Southgate unless he sticks to his own beliefs and doesn't listen to people saying you've got to pick players on form. He's got to stick to his own beliefs, but you. Listen, he can't put that many fullbacks in the team, in the squad. It would be utterly ridiculous. That that choice of Ben White as the, as the final player in the Euros squad, incredibly frustrating when we had so many attacking players yeah. who could possibly have made a difference in that final. So um, hopefully he's learned a lesson from that. Adrian, um, just on Ben White, who you mentioned there, um, of course, this season for Arsenal has been starting as their right back and had a great start to the season. Um, you talked about Trent Alexander-Arnold failing to deliver in an England shirt. Somebody like Ben White, who's versatile, we've seen him play in centre midfield, we've seen him play at centre-back and he can also play at right back. Is his omission quite surprising from this squad, considering um, the lack of form of some of these players, such as Harry Maguire, such as Trent Alexander-Arnold? Not seeing Ben White has really surprised me. All right, Quake, you, you wanted him to pick another right-back. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. A, a, a right-back who can play centre-back and centre-midfield as well. He's not playing centre-half, is he? I and mean, that's the thing about Ben White. He's not playing centre-half. He's always going to take um, Harry Maguire. He's obviously decided that Eric Dyer's done very well, so he thinks he can bring him back, which is great, really, because that just shows that someone who is well-versed in the system, the way that England work and can come back into the team after being worked like a dog by Antonio Conte. He's going to pick Cody because Cody is the de facto captain. You know, I know Carry Kane wears the armband, but Cody is the captain. No, I, I, I think uh, you've nailed it there. If you look at who he would have left out, centre-back-wise... To bring in Ben White, it didn't make any sense when he's not playing at centre-half. But I, I do appreciate the point. Ben White might be frustrated. That could present a problem for Mikel Arteta because Ben White will want to go to tournaments uh, because he went to the Euros. So uh, I find it a fascinating one. One player I do want to highlight is Fikayo Tomori. Yeah. who uh, they love here in Milan, by the way, the AC Milan fans anyway, absolutely love him. I mean, they can't speak highly enough of him. Now, I've just been here less than 24 hours, and as half a dozen AC Milan fans have told me, this guy is brilliant. How does he not play for England every single game? So let's not underestimate how good he is because... I think it's the madness of Chelsea, actually. Adrian, I think that's called the madness of Chelsea, I think is what you... <laughs> if he was at Chelsea, he wouldn't be getting a game, mate. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's gay yeah. But we had a nil-nil with Italy in the Nations League, and he played alongside Maguire tomorrow in that game. Now, it it wasn't a full Italy side. Tomorrow night won't be a full Italy side either. They've got uh, quite a number of omissions. 
But I, I think it's about time for Kaio Tomori nailed down a starting place in this England side. Um, Adrian, thank you very much for joining us from a little cafe in Milano. I want you to go and have a really good uh, walk around the piazza and uh, you know try on some uh, very special uh, Italian fashion. We're expecting you to come, uh, come back decked out like... <laughs> Alex Crook. Right, okay. Um, thank you very much. That's Adrian Durham. Uh, we've, got, we've got a lot more to talk about, uh, including uh, you know with it, some of the political things that have happened over the course of the last uh, few days, uh, plus what uh, Giorgio Chiellini has been saying about uh, England. Really interesting from Adrian, as always, and he's watched a lot of football over the years, and that's why you know his insight is so valuable. It is interesting in terms of picking players on form because I think against picking the established players because Luke Shaw, for example, was part of the England team that got to the final of the Euros. And as Adrian was saying, you wouldn't pick him now. Um, having said that, there are lots of players that have done well for Gareth Southgate. But if that's the case and those players are like every player in a difficult run of form at the moment, can you still justify picking them? Would it make sense to pick them? The other problem that uh, Southgate, I think, has is that how can you have a player like Foden, as Adrian's correctly saying, who has done so well for City and looks such a special player for City, and him only be a 6 out of 10? Adrian's absolutely right. And also with Trent Alexander-Arnold, won everything but bar the Europa League uh, with uh, Liverpool. Won the league, won the Champions League, won the League Cup, won the FA Cup. But you put him in an England shirt and he's not the same player. Why is that? Well, isn't and that I because of the players it. that are around him? I mean, if you look at Manchester City and you look at uh, Liverpool, the players that are around them are probably of a superior quality than some of those that are playing uh, for England, but also playing a different way. So you're melding systems, players from different systems, and there is no time to do any coaching at international level. Like z literally zero time. You turn up, you get there, you recover for a day, then they do all the assessments that need to be done, and then by the time you've got um, ready to start moving, I mean they, they joined up on Monday. They flew to, uh, they, they did one training session, flew to Italy. They have half a training session on the Thursday and then there's a match on the Friday. So in terms of actually specifics of coaching and trying to meld a formation with all these different players, it's almost impossible, right? Yeah, you, you do make a good point. The only thing I think is that I, to a certain extent, it does do those players a disservice because they bring a lot, a hell of a lot to the table. Um, we all know about uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's delivery from the wide areas and his ability to get up and down that right side. We all know about Phil Foden's ingenuity in that final third, his movement, his composition uh, in the final third. And I just think with England, we have so many good players that surely it should be round pegs in round holes. And the only point overall I would make is that I think the onus is very much on Gareth Southgate to produce an attacking lineup from the attacking talents that we have unlock this team because nobody wants to see them going uh, with uh, to, the, to Qatar with five at, at the back trying to keep out the Iranian or American forwards. Absolutely. We want to see them express themselves. Absolutely, Quaker, but you can only pick 11 players. And, and, and I know that, it, that that is a bit of a problem in itself. You, you can't get Jack Grealish, Bakayu Saka, Mason Mount, Phil Foden... Uh, all into the same team at the same time. It's, it's, not, it's just not possible, is it? Raheem Sterling, you just you can't get all those players in. You have to, ultimately, someone is going to be sacrificed. 
Definitely, but if you look at the the final of the Euros, pragmatism is what killed England. Went one nil up and we stopped playing football, playing three at the back. And like Adrian Riley touched on there, we have to there has to be some sort of ingenuity from Gareth Southgate when it comes to this England side that's littered of talents. We're, we we don't want to call it the golden generation because we've been burned by, by that previously. But this is a squad filled with talented players that have won major trophies over the last couple of years. So it's on Gareth Southgate. And I'm not going to question a man who has taken us from the doldrums of losing to Iceland in the Euros or going out of the 2014 World Cup in group stages to the latter stages of the World Cup and the final of the Euros. But... This is World Cup of bust for him right now. And he's got a squad of talented players that have won everything on the club stage. So it's on Gareth Southgate to get the best out of these players, such as Trent Alexander-Arnold, such as Phil Foden, such as Jack Grealish, to ensure that England are a more progressive side when it comes to these tournaments. Because like Adrian said, if you lose 5-4 in the semi-final and England play brilliant football, there's going to be less complaints than if we go out to, to the Netherlands in the quarters losing 1-0. So there's a lot on Gareth Southgate. And one other thing I do want to touch on is meritocracy when it comes to this England squad. That's what was very refreshing when Gareth Southgate came in as England manager. He pick players based on form. Now we're seeing players, you touched on it, Sam, Connor Cody is the de facto captain. Harry Maguire is going to always be selected despite his club form. I don't know if that's necessarily the healthiest environment when there's players like, I touched on Ben White, who's performing highly for his club side, but can't get a sniff in this England squad. So there's a lot of things that Gareth Southgate to address um, and hopefully he does that before the tournament starts in November. But I think you can come into being the England manager with the idealistic notion that everybody who's playing well gets in the England team. But then when you take over the England team, you realise that actually what's really important as well as having great players that are in good form is having a cohesiveness and a unit and a tactical framework that people can work in. And it's very difficult, as we've already mentioned, in terms of the time on the coaching field to sort of change that. So you can't bring in an influx of new players all the time. If you look at the number of players that he's given debuts to over the course of his tenure, it's incredibly high. You know, he's brought through a lot of new players. So when you eventually get to a situation when you're in a tournament, you need to know that the people that you've got with you are going to be able to impart or be able to take on the instructions that you've given them and understand the way you're going to play, which is why you get caught in this sort of situation where you think, right, well, I need someone who can play on the left side of my defence, but the only person I've got to do it is Harry Maguire. Should I be spending my time looking for a new person, ditch him? But then that affects the dynamic of the group because everybody's quite sort of fond of Harry Maguire and he's very good at certain times and he has never let me down. So it becomes a sort of... I almost think there's probably too many. You know, we used to be in a situation where there wasn't enough England players. We really did. It wasn't that long ago when we were looking around the league going, there's not enough players that can play for England. Jake Livermore, with all due respect to Jake, lovely guy, great player, is in the England squad. Wow. That is, you know, there is a little bit of an issue in terms of the, the depth that is available to the England manager. Now there's so much talent. And actually the job is very, very difficult to decide which of those talents fit into your framework to make a team? Because ultimately, this isn't a beauty contest. This isn't about the best player. It's about how to make the best team. And that is the challenge that Gareth Southgate has got to Sam, step up to. Sam, Sam, you're right about all, all of that. You're, you're absolutely right. But here's the thing. Because, precisely because we have as many talents as we do, part of me thinks it's a dereliction of duty still to stick with the same players 
if they are out of form. It sends the wrong message out to the rest of the playing contingent throughout the country. If you're English, you still don't get in. It reminds me of 97 when you had Andy Cole scoring 20-plus goals, Ian Wright scoring 20-plus goals, Les Ferdinand scoring 20-plus goals, Stan don't, Collymore don't, scoring 20-plus goals. Don't talk to Coley about goals. it. He used to leave at half-time during England. Absolutely. <laughs> and you've got Alan Shearer and a, another. We love Who don't love Alan Shearer? We love Alan Shearer. Um, but the, the point is around that time is that lots of players felt that they it wasn't a, a meritocracy and it is absolutely not Alan's fault you know he's been a fantastic servant for England he's scored goals for fun and, and you know he's leading score in the Premier League history so it's not his fault but the, the bottom line is when you do have all of those talents you have to be mindful of the message you're sending out if you stick with the players that uh, you know, regardless of their form. Now, for, fortunately for Shearer, he was always brilliant. So it was never really an issue as far as he was concerned. But I think with the others that are not in a good vein of form at the moment, can you justify still picking them when other players throughout the country are doing well? Giorgio Chiellini did a brilliant interview in The Times this week in which he said, I am sad for Harry Maguire's situation because he's a good player. Um, he said... They, and he's talking about the fans of England and Manchester United, um, require too much of him. Just because they paid £80 million for him, he has to be the best in the world every match, question mark. It's not right. The value of the market is dependent on many aspects that you can't control. It's not your fault. Uh, him and John Stones are a very good duo. OK, Maguire's maybe not Rio Ferdinand, but he's good enough. With this situation, it's not helping England to do their best. If you want to win the World Cup, it's impossible to do it with some problems in key in the key players. And for sure, Maguire is one of the key players of that team. That is the former captain of Italy, Giorgio Chiellini, suggesting that Maguire should be in the team. Do we buy into it? It's a, it's a, It's... A difficult one. He's speaking from the outside looking in. Um, and he's somebody speaking from experience, though. He he formed a formidable partnership with Bonucci. Um, we saw it firsthand in the finals of the Euros. But I'm I'm of the mindset that if you're playing well, you're selected, and you can translate that club form into international football. And I feel like that's how you get the best out of this England side. Harry Maguire has been an incredible servant for Gareth Southgate. And at the end of the day, it's his job on the line. It's not, none of our jobs, it's his job. So Harry, uh, Gareth Southgate has relied on Harry Maguire for the World Cup in 2018 and for the Euros last year. And he's a man that's gotten to the semi-finals of a major tournament and the final of another one. But if he is not playing for Manchester United and he goes on the pitch in Qatar and starts for England, I don't think that best serves the England side because he's not going to be in form, he's not going to be in the rhythm. And despite the fact that he's a leader in that dressing room and he has performed for England previously if you're not playing for your club side it just doesn't make sense to me how you can start for your national team and um, Fikai Tomori is definitely an alternative isn't he and he's another one who's impressed Chiellini he said he surprised me because I saw him in Chelsea and I didn't think he could be so strong in the box or attentive for 90 minutes I think that is the key thing when he was at Chelsea as a younger player is being attentive for 90 minutes but he is one of the keys of Milan winning last year and you heard from Adrian you know how important Fakayu Tomori has been for Milan winning the Scudetto last year. And he's, you know, that's a, what, an, what an achievement that is. He's won Serie A for Kayu Tomori. He has to be, exactly. he has to be considered as a proper option for this England team. Absolutely, he does. He works for one of the most demanding managers in European football. He's a winner. Um, he's a player who's more mobile than Harry Maguire. He's uh, more effective at the moment than Harry Maguire. We can talk about what Harry Maguire did with England 
two years ago, but that's a long time, sorry, last year, but that's a long time ago. And I think when you do have players that are performing at a high level, it's incredibly regressive to say, well, because this player did well for me six months ago, then, you know, I've got to pick him. I think Harry Maguire's situation is very different to the situation around Raheem Sterling because Sterling hadn't been played very often by Pep Guardiola. And Southgate said, no, he's never done badly for me. And when he played him, he justified his inclusion with his performances. But the problem is there are lots of people basically saying Harry Maguire can do this, Harry Maguire can do that. And when he plays, the evidence is there for all to see. So it's not criticising him for the sake of criticising him. He's, he's, whether it's his confidence being low um, he's just not performing well. He's susceptible to quick strikers. He gets caught out of position. He seems unable to smell danger. There are specific things that you can, that need to be addressed as far as Harry Maguire is concerned. And that's why people say that they would prefer, as you've been saying, a Fikayo Tomori or maybe even a Ben White. I'm not saying a Ben White's a considerable upgrade on him, but if you're looking at a Tomori, he's a winner, he's playing for a demanding coach, and he is a player who could address some of the issues that Maguire has. I know initially they were looking at Fikayo Tomori and thinking, well, you know, does he play in the biggest of games? It, you know, It's a lot of pressure to come into an England team and play against Germany or in Italy or whatever and when you haven't been playing in those massive matches then last year he played in all of the big games and he was a massive linchpin of that it's at that the Milan uh, defense and they just changed their mind they were like well look he can do it there's no doubt about it. we've got to get him in the squad and they've done that since then I know Calvin Phillips this time because he's got a shoulder injury and I'm really worried about him making the World Cup now because this is not the first shoulder injury that he's had that does cause problems for England in terms of security at the back but actually it almost just opens the door to young Jude Bellingham. And I think, you know, okay, he's been to the Euros. He's been around the squad for nearly two years now, since he was like 15 or something. Um, he's now graduated to the ripe old age of 19. Um, so let's just let him play because he is bloody good. He's so good. He's just like unbelievably talented. I just want to see him in the team. I just, you know, if... I can't believe that no... I mean, obviously, I know that there are structures at Borussia Dortmund and that's the reason why they haven't sold him this year because they sold Haaland, so they weren't going to sell him as well. But he, if you're an English club desperate to get a central midfielder, just whatever, there's, you know, he's going to be around for 10, 15 years. Go and get the truckloads of cash. Just drive it to Dortmund. Just pour it onto the pitch of the West Farland Stadium. Just go, just give me him. He's so silky, so dynamic. He's got such a brilliant range I, of passes. I've got this image in my it. head. I've got this image in my head, Sam, of you on a, in a HDV pulling up yeah. the, the guy coming out. With loads of Todd to, Bowley's cash. Right, mate. Yeah, I've got some cash in the back. For uh, We've got to deliver it here for, 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 for William. Yeah. Um, well, Sam, Andrew Bellingham, Darren did a brilliant interview with him, um, I think it was back earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was great for and, CNN when he was moonlighting the, another broadcast. <laughs> and the maturity that this kid shows um, at his tender age, he's on the brink of greatness. And I remember before the 2004 Euros, there was this bubble and excitement about Wayne Rooney. You guys can maybe talk about 98 when Michael Owen was coming through at the World Cup. Why? 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 Um, why, why, why? Why can't you talk about yeah, that? You, you, <laughs> I don't want to bring age into it, but yeah, you guys are a little bit older Man, than I am. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> this is what we usually do to Darren. <laughs> 
Um, and I, I feel like Jude Bellingham, Qatar 2022 is going to be his tournament. It's going to be where he shows that he is a world-class player. And like you say, there are a multitude of clubs on the world stage that are crying out for a centre midfielder and Jude Bellingham's going to be on top of their lists. Uh, brilliant. Okay, let's move on because we've got other things to discuss, including the fan-led football review, which might be coming to an end before it's even started. And we need to talk about um, um, Qatar and going to the World Cup. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Well, Harry Kane will wear a rainbow captain's armband during the World Cup in Qatar to send a message against discrimination. Homosexuality is illegal in the host nation. The FA have said the gesture is to support the wider One Love campaign, but neither the governing body nor Kane mentioned homosexuality or gay rights in their statements yesterday when underscoring why they were wearing it. Darren, I know that you've um, you've, you've taken to social media over the last uh, 24 hours, changed your mind, gone back again. What, what do you feel about what, what do you feel about this? Because you know you are you, you know genuinely you, you you have a strong view on it. I do, I do. Um, I've always felt that um, the people who make decisions around football right now, I, I was thinking about it. A lot of them are the same age as us, and they, they don't really have a grasp on the issues that affect us. I, I think you will never ever address adequately. Uh, racism, bigotry with a messaging campaign. Never. It, they've tried it for many, many years. They've spent huge amounts of money on it. And all that's done is basically make them feel better. But ultimately, people are still suffering. People are still going through the problems they've always gone through because football is afraid to take the, uh, the real solutions. Uh, boycotting tournaments, pulling teams out of competitions, docking points from clubs, um, throwing con- uh, clubs, uh, countries out of major tournaments. They are the real things that will force change. 
But football doesn't want to do that. It has lots of conflicting interests. It has lots of people scared about the what if. And the result is basically a kind of obfuscation that we're seeing now. I think as far as the, the, the European countries are concerned, they could all have come together 10 or 12 years ago when uh, Qatar were announced as the uh, hosts of this World Cup and said, we're not going to play. The players could have... I don't actually want to lay it too much at the players' door, but they would. They could easily have come out back then. Just as many, some people might not know, but I know a raft of players around about 2011, 2012, talked about setting up a Black Footballers Association. It terrified the game so much that the game basically gave in to some of the things that they wanted to implement. But again, just as people started to believe that the game was going to do what they wanted, it didn't go far enough. And that's the problem. Football never goes far enough. Will this armband work? It won't. I don't want to sit on the fence about this. I don't feel I should. I will never not speak about it. I think that football has a duty to protect the people who play it, the people who work in it, and the people even who come to watch it. And it's not going to do that with an armband and a few measly words on a press release. The FA statement yesterday was outlining a formal position on Qatar. It claimed it will also push FIFA and the host nation to set up permanent centres for migrant workers and compensation to be paid to the families of workers injured or killed in the World Cup-related construction projects. They are joining with, as you mentioned, other European countries. Wales are going to do it as well. In fact, there's nine other nations in Europe that have decided to wear this, this armband. But it does beg the question, is if you all feel so strongly about it and, and about the, the, the whole World Cup as a, as a whole, why have, why have you waited until... I don't know, how long is it? Seven weeks beforehand to decide what you're going to do about it. Ultimately, this has been a discussion for ages. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't something else have been done here? What, what is the motivation? I do feel a little bit sorry for Gareth Southgate because I feel like he just walks into every pro- press conference and there's another diplomatic issue which he's supposed to solve, which probably would be better speaking to the Foreign Secretary, whoever that is now. I don't know. It changes every week. Um, but actually, he ends up having been de facto Prime Minister and, and, and give a sort of, like, you know, state of the nation address, whether it be on racism, homophobia, the moral rights of, uh, of, of the migrants in, in, in Qatar building the stadium. You know, that's not really his job. The FAs should have taken all this out of everybody's hands, right? And that, uh, well, that's, that's, not, that's not actually true. I know you're going to come in. So forgive me, Quaker, just very yeah. quickly. That's not strictly true. Football doesn't exist in a bubble. We play in the real world. Right. Uh, the people who take part in it live in the real world. So there are things that affect the people who play it, the people who watch it, the people who travel, even the people who organise it. We live in the real world. So in a way, if you are a football manager these days, you have to address the things that affect the people who watch you and the people who play in your team. Sorry, Kwaku. Yeah, and off the back of that, that's that's why there's been some criticism levied that Eddie Howe in press conferences when he's not been forthright in his criticism of things that are going on in the Middle East and his new owners. But it's what is bothersome to me is a lack of concrete language and a lack of affirmative action. The FA chief exec, Mark Bullenham, coming out and saying that he's been encouraged by talks with the, the Qataris. What does that actually mean? Uh, well, it's the, diplomatic the LG... speak, isn't it? It's all about, it is diplomatic speak. That's what it is. It's just trying to smooth the passage because so, they're thinking, well, we've got to go out there and play a tournament. We've got to make sure that we don't upset FIFA because we're bidding for another tournament in six years' time or whatever. So it is all, it's all about trying to sort of negotiate your way through a very choppy diplomatic water. I don't think that's the right thing to do. It would have been easier just if everyone just turned around in 2010 and went, oh, I'm not doing that. We're not going, going there. there. And, and it's... 
it seems it smells of and it is faux activism. It's a case where we're going to put an armband on, we're going to put... It doesn't actually do anything. And what will happen inevitably in November is everybody will go there, people will have a great time, like they did in the 2018 World Cup, in a sort of World Cup land, and not actually consider the wider issues that are affecting people of different communities. This is... World Cups are supposed to be an inclusive experience. And as things currently stand, when sorry, when the last two World Cups have been in Russia, and been in Qatar, it's evident that inclusivity is not top of the agenda and money is. Yeah, that is, well, I mean, I think, I think there's too many people who will argue with that. Talking of which, the new government is considering putting plans for an independent football regulator on hold and giving the game a fixed deadline to come up with, you know, his own plans, an acceptable alternative. Um, obviously, we, we, new Prime Minister has decided that red tape is something she doesn't want to get involved with and she's trying to sort of free market the whole economy. Um th- bit of a waste of money then that um, Tracy Crouch spent so long doing the fan-led review if ultimately it's just going to be down to the Premier League to, to sort out what they want to do to make themselves look good, right? Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think as far, uh, listen, I broke this story on September the 9th for the Daily Mirror. And at the time there was there has been ever since real concern that Liz Truss has no real interest um, or, or rather the people around Liz Truss who are advising her, uh, the Prime Minister has have no real interest in a regulator um, and uh, for the game and addressing all of the things that Tracy Crouch had on the table that she looked at that were of concern that affected the people like that the people listening to listen we're, we're in a very fortunate position. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We, we cover football for a living. So, you know, we go into games that, and we don't have to, but there are lots of people up and down the country who have to pay and they're paying some of the highest ticking prices in Europe. You know, what, what's what's the, the solution to that? Is there a solution to that? I remember when the fan-led review was mooted, a regulator was mooted, and the response from the people who run the game and some of the, the people who run the prem, uh, in charge of Premier League clubs was very muted because from their point of view, they don't want to basically be the turkeys voting for Christmas. We have the most profitable league in the Premier League in the world. I think it's 212 territories it's shown in, um, and they want that to continue. They want to be masters of their own destiny. So this noise now coming from Downing Street that uh, Liz Truss could well say, no, that's not for me. It's going to be welcomed privately, and quietly, but very, very much welcome. But for us and for fans and for people who want to see change, I think the wait is going to continue. The, the, the big issue really is, is that football has so many different political factions, FIFA, UEFA, the FA, um, and, and, and a lot of them are sort of competing for, and Football League in a sense, they're all competing for time in the calendar. They're all competing for little grabbing bits of money everywhere to try and keep themselves afloat and keep things moving. And it is it is a very disorganised industry in in one way because it is so splintered. There's so many different sort of factions, and it, it does need to come together somehow. It needs to come together not only to sort out things, really basic things like the actual calendar, which is a spider graph of of mess. It's just absolutely it's just uncontrollable. It just every year you're trying to find little nooks to try and 
fit in extra games. It's just, it, it does need sorting out and smoothing out. The calendar process needs smoothing out because it does, it looks a bit of a mess. And then you've got all the other things that feed into that, like how fans are expected to access matches. You know, we're in 2022. Every fan from every club should have a way of watching their team, whether that be in a stadium or on a screen somewhere. They, 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 they should be able to support that team. We haven't got that facility. We need that facility. We are grown up. It's 2022. The technology we have now is amazing. We can do all these things. Make it happen. I sat with my virtual reality headset on the other day and watched Brentford versus Manchester United through my VR headset, Darren, right? And basically, I put it on, I put the game on, and I'm sitting on the front row of the top tier of Brentford's main stand. And I can see the whole pitch. I've got the commentary in my ears. I've got the, the pictures. I've got on a big screen above the stand opposite me, a selection of different other screens so I can see replays and stuff like that. I am sitting in the stadium with a headset on. I can turn to my left and right and see the goal and what David Ray is doing when the ball's at the other end and what David De Gea is scratching when, when the ball's uh, <laughs> away for a Man United call. Like, literally, it's so, it's possible. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's amazing. We've got to embrace that and try and bring that to as many people as possible. And we've got to make it accessible to people because, ultimately, if football wants to be the biggest sport in the world, which it is and wants to continue to be, it has to bring the fans along with it. It has to make it so easy for fans. And you know, the more people you've got paying a smaller amount of money, the more money you're going to make in, in the long run anyway. It's about the long-term future of the game more than anything else. Uh, but uh, uh, the appetite and the desire for this independent regulator really gathered traction following the emergence of the Super League or the proposal of the Super League. Yeah. And that's when fans were, that's when people were united for the first time in my life seeing everybody in football barring these owners that agreed to the Super League on the same page whether it be media whether it be fans of different teams but like you two have rightly touched on people have their own vested interests fans have their own interests owners have their own interests media which we are part of have our own interests and football like you said Sam is very very disorganised and it's difficult to get everybody on the same page what is evident is the Premier League is a money making machine English football is a money making machine and I can understand when Liz Truss is coming in uh, to being the Prime Minister of this country why she doesn't want to upset the apple cart because as it currently stands, it's working for some people. Well, in her leadership campaign, she was all supporting the independent regulator and the fan-led review. Well, not the independent regulator, the fan-led review. She was very much a part of it. And then when you know she got into the, the, the front door, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure that's a priority anymore. But, but the, 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 the thing about that, as I was saying before, she's made those noises, but people around her don't share that appetite for regulator. Jason she's Steen, very much who's her advisor with the portfolio for sport, who's, who's organising it. Is that right? Well, indeed. And, and I think they're going to be merging, if I'm not mistaken, the sport and the arts as well. So the person who, the new, if you like, culture secretary is going to have a wider, wider brief. But listen, the, the, the bottom line is that there are lots of things that football needs that will now bite the dust. Um, it looks like proper person's test, mandatory diversity and inclusion plans for all clubs. Um, being able to help clubs lower down the pyramid, you know, because there had been plans for a levy, a new transfer levy for of up to 10% on Premier League clubs. Well, again, you can understand why Premier League clubs don't want to do that. And you can even understand their point because some will say, and the point has been made, why would a Crystal Palace help a club in the championship to become stronger 
and to take their place in the Premier League. So I can see the debate around that, but at least have a debate and to at least continue to talk about it rather than just kill the whole thing stone dead uh, and basically leave the, the situation as it is because the system as it is it's not work. perfect by um, any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, the one thing that is also going to get kicked down the road is this decision on FA Cup replays. The Football Association apparently is prepared to abandon some FA Cup replays due to fixture congestion. Um, all replays across the third and fourth rounds were cancelled last season because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they don't want to do that again. However, because multiple games were called off for teams competing in Europe, um, and then things changed because of the death of Queen Elizabeth II... An ad hoc hoc approach is going to be taken for some, not all, third and fourth round fixtures to decide before kickoffs that there will be no replays. Stop laughing. Stop it. It's not funny. Um, So, for example, right, you you might have a a club that's got a couple... I don't know. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but one club who plays in the third round game against Brinkley Town... Leads, let's say they've had a couple of games cancelled, so they aren't going to have to do a replay. So it will go to extra time penalties on the day if Leeds get draw a match, right? But if Manchester United and Brighton play each other, then there'll be a replay and then extra time after that. It doesn't really make much sense to me, and I'll tell you why it doesn't make much sense. We sat here in this podcast a couple of weeks ago and I went through the calendar with you all and I said. There is a week which is slated in January for third round replays. I do a lot of FA Cup. There's not many replays. So you can play some of those other matches, those Premier League matches, in that week. There are two weeks slated for Carabao Cup semi-final one and semi-final two. There's only four teams that are involved in that. You can play other games on those nights. There are also fourth-round replays slated for the middle of the week. Again, there's not that many of them. Trust me. Sometimes we're scratching around going, what are we going to choose if there's a replay? What are we going to choose if there's a replay? And then there's only one. Last year, in the FA Cup first round, which is a massive round, by the way, there was one replay. We had to go to Barrow. No one's ever going to Barrow unless you are forcing them to go to Barrow. Have you ever been to Barrow? Barrow is miles away. It's miles away from anywhere. You have to go up, round, back, and back down again just to even think about starting your journey. It is 19 hours from everywhere. No one is picking Barrow against Ipswich. But if it's the only replay, you've got to do it. So it was the only replay in round one. So we did it. Like, you know... Just don't get hit up by the fact that there's not enough room in the calendar and we need exclusivity. Premier League can't play on the same night as the FA Cup. Nonsense. It doesn't. You don't need to change the whole format of a competition just because you've missed two games. It's 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 just ludicrous. It really is. It's absolutely ludicrous. I'm just crying out for precedented times. I feel like the last three years in football has just been been crazy in terms of the calendar, in terms of people looking ahead to see where games will be played. And when it comes to these FA Cup replays, this ad hoc idea of deciding whether a team plays an extra time or it goes to a replay, it doesn't actually make any sense. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem very fair in my opinion either. And I think the season is a bit different because of the World Cup bang in the middle of the season. Um, but... Yeah, that's totally what it is. 
Yeah, and that, that's that's and people have to be flexible with that. And like you say, Sam, in terms of exclusive, exclusivity and teams playing on the same days as other teams or other competitions, there's just going to have to be flexibility because this is an abnormal season for both Premier League teams and teams further down the footballing pyramid. But the ad hoc idea in terms of deciding before kickoff teams play an extra time or take uh, play a replay, it doesn't actually make any sense to me. And where are we going to go? Know, with this? Like, We're going to flip a coin before each game and go right. Okay, because a draw, you get the well, points. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would have liked to have seen them rather than um, get rid of replays because this, listen what we do in this game we think about the top 20 clubs and no one really pays attention to the clubs outside the Premier League until the FA Cup comes around and everyone says oh isn't this the wonderful competition the best in the world we've got all these clubs down there and as soon as they, they tumble out of the FA Cup we go we forget them and go back to focusing on the Premier League and keeping the spotlight there if you are going to scrap third and fourth round replays and have ties involving Premier League clubs and clubs in the lower leagues at their ground yeah. rather than at the Premier League ground. You you've forfeit got, if you're play. a Premier League club. No away. games are played in Premier League clubs. You have to play away. At least ensure that they get the revenue to keep them going that they so badly need. Absolutely. At least that might redress How, how easy is that? How easy is it to do that? It's just, it is so easy. The lowest ranked team can make the decision whether they want the game home or away. Simple. And maybe a small team might say, because you split the gate receipts, I've drawn Manchester United, 75,000 people can get in there. Do you know what? We'll take half of those gate receipts instead of you coming to town. Why not? Absolutely. Why not? They can do that. But that should be their choice. They should have that option. Um, Anyway, um, we'll see what happens there. Um, I think that uh, that is going to be a bone of contention come January. In fact, although I was told yesterday that the FA Cup is is back in October uh, the seventh or something. I think it's Friday the seventh. It comes back, and I've got Cirque du Soleil booked that night. So I'm like, oh no, I don't know, it's going to clash with a trip to Barrow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I hope it does clip, ca- clash with a trip. I to thought Barrow. you were going to say dancing on ice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's January. That's January. Um, look, um, I feel sorry that I've had to go at Barrow. I like the place. I had a good time when I was there, to be honest with you. I stayed in a really nice hotel, but it's just a long way. That's 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 my illustration. You know, it was quicker to go from Liverpool to Barrow by boat than it was to drive. Come on, um, right, um, Darren. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, good luck over the weekend. What are you doing? Are you doing anything special? I'm going to the Lake District this weekend, sort of relaxing a couple of days. I'm just going to watch lots and lots of football as I normally do. Um, Nations League. I can't get enough. Um, and to be honest with you, because I keep losing bets with you, um, I've got to watch it to gen up on my knowledge. I'm still um, I'm still very hungry, by the way, for our dinner, <laughs> which, which, you, which you lost a bet for about six years ago. Uh, Quakey, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, loved it. And we'll see you again soon. Um, remember, the Game Day podcast is out every Thursday and Monday, usually, uh, when you wake up, because we preview all the weekend's action and review it from the Premier League. Uh, next week, we're actually going to be around probably think Tuesday afternoon, I think the next one will drop, because obviously we'll wait till England have finished their game on Monday night before we do all this uh, again. I think Crookie might actually be back for this one, possibly. You never know. He's on holiday in Portugal again. Right, okay. Um, Talk Sports got live commentary of England against Italy in Milan and the game against Germany at Wembley as well. Make sure you tune in, download our app, and tell your friends about the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. 
Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 